Hello, and welcome to a special edition of our show, Herstory, with Katie. Okay, now go. Hello, and welcome to a special edition of our show, Herstory, on the rocks, with Katie and Allie. Normally, just be Allie and I hanging out, just the two of us with a couple of cocktails, talking about famous women in history. But sometimes we like to talk to people who are writing about famous women in history. And today we get to welcome back a very special guest, Wendy Holden. Wendy is a best-selling British author who's here with us today to talk about her upcoming book, The Princess. And she recently came on the show to talk about The Duchess. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, yeah, I'm um, Wendy Holden. I'm, I'm an author. I've written 20 novels. Uh, the Princess is my 20th novel. Um, most of my novels um, have been romantic comedies, but about five years ago, I pivoted to um, historical fiction and began to write a trilogy, which I think of as the disruptive women in the House of Windsor. So the first one was called The Governess, which was about the woman who taught the Queen. Um, the second was called The Duchess, um, about um, Wallace Simpson. And this third one is called The Princess, and it's about the early years of Princess Diana. So before we get into the book, we need to talk about the cocktail we made for your book. So this is obviously called The Princess, and it is gin with creme de violet, orange liqueur, sweetened lime juice, and you put that all in a champagne coupe, you top it with champagne, and you garnish with a lime. Cheers. We had you on about the Duchess, which was, of course, very interesting to us being from Baltimore. As oh, exactly. A, 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 a girl from Baltimore, exactly. Completely. Yeah, <laughs> we love her. Um, so let's set the scene for this book, The Princess. We know it's covering the life of Princess Diana, but you cover kind of the early years. Can you set the yeah. scene for our listeners about what time in Princess Diana's life it covers? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, we 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 start it with her school days, really. Um, it's it's her school days, and and then her early years growing up in the country uh, as a teenager with her sisters and her family and her her father and her brother and sisters. And then we moved to London, um, where she um, lives in a flat with 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 friends in Kensington, in a, a really sort of smart part of London. And she was what was known, known as a Sloan Ranger, which is a kind of eighties phenomenon in, in in Britain. It was basically um, really well heeled, sort of wealthy young people who lived in a certain part of London around Sloan Square, which is sort of. Um, central London, but very smart, so the Kensington, Chelsea. And they wear a particular, they used to wear, they don't, they don't really exist anymore, but at, at the time they used to wear particular sort of country clothes in London. So sort of husky jackets, quilted jackets and, and corduroy trousers. That was the blokes. And the women would wear frilly collared shirts and pearls and sort of Alice bands in their hair. And it was a really particular look. And Princess Diana was, um, a real kind of Sloan Ranger. She was a sort of the ultimate Sloan Ranger. Mm -hmm. Now, when we covered Princess Diana on our podcast years ago, we paired her with Cinderella because it just yeah. seems like there's so many similarities. And yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah. like you talked about, like she had some sisters, and there are some yeah, exactly. there. And yeah, absolutely. She had. She had. It's such a good comparison because she had a couple of sisters. Um, I mean, who she looked up to enormously, but maybe they didn't always treat her. Um, you know, very well. I mean, I, I, I think she, they were, they were quite distant because they were older. 
Um, and she and her father was also sort of quite well-meaning, but also quite sort of distant too. So he's very much like the father in the pantomime. But most um, strikingly of all, she had a, a wicked stepmother. Her, her, her father married when he became Earl Spencer. He married this woman called Rain, um, who was called Rain Leg at the time, who was um, the Countess of Dartmouth. But she wanted to upgrade to an earl. And so she left um, her family, four children and a husband, and went to marry Diana's father, who coincidentally had four children as well. But none of them liked Rain. She was um, very unpopular with them. And, uh, yeah, so there, there, are, there are lots of similarities, uh, I, w- I would say. I think it's very good, particularly as Diana wasn't, partic- you know, she was quite sort of unassuming, quite shy, quite... Um, didn't really put herself forward. It was her sisters who were, you know, the, the, particularly her sister, Sarah, the eldest one. He was the glamorous one who caught the eye. And in fact, he had a relationship with Prince Charles for a while. And it looked for a, a, a period of time in the mid 1970s that they might actually get married. So, but it, it, that didn't happen. And of course it was Diana in the end, but it looked unlikely. But I think the most, one of the main reasons she's, she's like Cinderella too is that she sort of saw herself in this romantic way, you know, as as she was really loved romantic novels, uh, particularly um, ones written by Rain's mother, Barbara Cartland, who was a very famous writer of romances at the time. And um, she, you know, she had really powerful ideas about love and romance. And so that was quite Cinderella-like too. So, yeah, I think it's a very good comparison. And But there wasn't really a very happy ending, although she did get married in a sort of golden carriage and, and, and all the rest of it. So yeah, that too. So I think many little girls kind of dream of like that idea of growing up and becoming a princess, but Mm -hmm. Diana had a a lot of goals as a young person. What were some of the things that she dreamed of? I mean, she had a job, you know, like a lot of, I feel like princesses didn't have jobs. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, she did have a job, but it, it wasn't a very, um, demanding job you know I mean I mean I, th- I think she she was a nanny and for a while she used to clean for her sister and she used to work in a in a kindergarten but none of them were what you might call a career and she wasn't um I mean she I think she was a very intelligent person a very funny person much more intelligent and much funnier than people would would imagine because she has this reputation of uh, or people imagine that she wasn't particularly clever but I just think that's completely wrong she was just not very well educated and one of the reasons for that was that um at children uh, girls at that in that at that time weren't taken very seriously by families like hers you know the, the the boys would get amazing educations be sent to really good schools but but girls were just seen as um people who were just going to marry um their, their job was to marry somebody very grand and, and have lots of children so they didn't really need to be educated so Diana was never sent to a good school so she um you know her brain was never really uh stretched the way it might have been somewhere better so but she was definitely very bright and very imaginative mm-hmm. and uh yeah she she de- she did have ideas about um what she wanted and I think some of those came from her parents divorce you know it was so difficult it was so miserable that I think she really valued the idea of love and and relationships because that was the opposite of what what had happened to what she'd observed herself. So she wanted to have a stable relationship and, um, you know, 
with the same person and and have lots of children and all the family live together under one roof you know all those things that hadn't happened to her simple things really um that um she wanted so yeah so so i think those were her real goals but career-wise actually i don't think she was really seriously interested in a sort of very high power job no, I don't think. Uh, I think she she was interested in 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 being married and having children and and having a happy home life. I think that was her main ambition, as well as. But they had to be the right person, and I think she really wanted a prince or prince adjacent. You know, some some kind of figure from a romantic novel. Mm-hmm. And the book kind of takes place from the perspective too of a schoolmate of hers. So we're not exactly. Yeah. Um, it's not following. We're not in Diana's head exactly. We're seeing her through someone else, and yeah, we, we have yeah, we have we have um. Well, Diana does appear in it, and she we do see it through her through her eyes for a certain part of the novel uh, because it's her the, the story of her. Um, I was trying to do two things in this novel. I was trying to show the the route that she took to being Princess of Wales because it was a very particular series of events that happened. And I went, I was interested in, in the journey, in the whole, you know, sequence. How did it happen? Who, what, what, what led to what? You know, how did it, how did it happen? And the way it happened was, um, a series of events which were a bit like a sort of social grand national, like a, like a horse race. Um, she had to, it would start with, say, the polo, a polo match, which is where Prince Charles would normally introduce his girlfriends to, to the press. And then after that, if she if that went well, there'd be a next stage, and the next stage might be a week on the royal yacht at Cows during the regatta, the sort of sailing festival that goes on in the Isle of Wight um, in, in southern Britain. And then after that, if that went well, she might progress to a week in Balmoral in Scotland. So there was a sequence of things, and it was always it was very particular. And it had and all the Charles's previous girlfriends had gone through the same routine, but um, not all of them had made it over these hurdles you know they'd they'd sort of fallen down or or hadn't made it for various lots of different reasons but I so I wanted to show how that worked because that was really interesting but also um over there was a there were two elements really just just to get the whole show on the road in the first place and make this sort of race begin two things had to happen and the first was the fact that um Prince Charles was 30 uh, in the late 1970s, he was 30. And the royal family were really worried that uh, he hadn't got married. I mean, he'd been out with loads of women, but he hadn't got married. And they were absolutely terrified that he was going to end up being another Edward VIII, another, and, and might end up marrying an unsuitable woman as they saw it, um, another Mrs. Simpson, um, which was seen as a total disaster by the, by the Windsors because of the abdication, which almost brought down the monarchy. It was, you know, a real mess up as far as they were concerned they didn't want a repeat of that so the hunt was on to find the right girl now the right girl to marry Prince Charles had to be um, a very particular set had to embody a very particular set of um, criteria she knew she had to be young because she ideally was going to have lots of children she had to be a protestant she had to be very grand from a very aristocratic family but most importantly of all and this actually shows how long ago the 1980s really was in terms of social attitudes. I mean, it seems quite near, but it was so long ago because um, she had to have, um, it had to be pure and innocent and have no past, i.e., you know, be, be a virgin. And this was really, um, 
difficult because, you know, there, this was in the late 1970s and um, Charles had been out with loads of women. There weren't many left who fit all these criteria. And Diana was just about the only person. And so from the well, family point of view, it was very particular, it was very pragmatic. It was very hard headed, a practical decision. This is the girl. And so when the Queen Mother spotted her at her sister's wedding, she was 16. Um, that was it. That, that, that was the, the, the woman that, 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 that they wanted. But from Diana's point of view, she was just sort of in love with love. You know, she just wanted to get, as I said, you know, wanted to get married to somebody and, and, and be happy ever after and be taken away from all her problems and the sort of misery of her parents' divorce and all the rest of it by a knight in shining armour. So she was coming from a completely different direction. And I hadn't actually appreciated the extent to which that was that was the case. You know, but before I started looking into this story, uh, I, I had no idea that it was that extreme. You know, it was the, the palace was here with their very practical point of view, and Diana was here with the, the completely opposite. And I, I'm not sure that either party understood the other at all. I don't think they even knew that that's what was happening. They just kind of went on side by side, completely ignorant of of, of how the other person saw it. And so that was always going to be trouble, you know. So that's really that main um sort of conflict i suppose is is what i was trying to 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 show in my book um the the sequence of events that led to the the engagement but most of all this mutually um sort of antithetical point of view which uh, you know with, with which both um different parties had entered the arrangements this was completely dramatic and amazing and it was a fantastic subject for for a novel <laughs> so that's that's um where i'm coming from yeah i i imagine researching and writing about diana was vastly different from researching and writing about wallace simpson are there yeah absolutely differences yeah yeah with, with the government well for example i mean marion crawford who was the subject in the governess the the um the queen's teacher she was a very different person to write about in, in terms of research because uh, so little existed about her. She'd, she'd been completely cancelled by the royal family and almost completely written out of history because she wrote a book about them when she left royal service. It was a really nice book, really lovely about them. But they were furious. The Queen Mother was really furious and she cut her off. And poor Crawfee, as they called her, just never saw them again and was basically, you know, just, just written out of history. So th- there wasn't much about her, which was, which was great uh, for me because there was, there was lots of scope for, from, for my imagination. With, with Diana, it was sort of different because there's so much more information about her. And in fact, that's why I had to split the book up the, the way I did because when I mean, I've discussed the sort of structure and how I was, you know, looking at from these from these two different points of view and, and the sort of sequence of events, the kind of grand national through which um, she 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 got to the finishing post, which was basically the altar. But so many different people were involved from the palace side to kind of get this relationship off the ground. So I mentioned the Queen Mother who spotted Diana at this wedding, and she's one of the voices who tells the story in the Princess. But she's not the only one. Another very important voice, which was really crucial, was the British press. And they appear as themselves, various journalists tell tell the story at, at different points. Because 
the press really loved her. The British press really loved Diana right from the beginning. And she liked them too. And she kind of understood what they were doing and, 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 and what they wanted. And um, they were, they just championed her and they were, they almost made it happen. You know, they, they, they gave her such positive coverage all the time that it made it, and the royal family were looking for a, a bride anyway. And it's clear that she was very popular with the press. So it was almost one of the reasons why, why the whole thing happened. They sort of forced it. And the other, um, person was this character who I'd come across in my research, really intriguing character called Stephen Barry, who is, um, was Prince Charles's valet. He was kind of manservant. And he was sort of basically a fixer. He used to deal with Prince Charles's girlfriends. And so I've sort of fictionalised him. Uh, I mean, obviously, I mean, the other point to make about this book is that it's fiction. You know, it's not biography. It's not, it's, it's, it's not historical. It's not a historical, um, serious historical work. It's a novel. But I take all these people who really existed and I, and I give them parts in, in the drama. Um, and and write them as I as I think they were, but they, I, I fictionalise them. It's not you know, uh, uh, although it is all based on on on, on real people and uh, real historical events. But I imagine Stephen Barry is this particular type of person who takes a young girl and sort of helps her, decides that he's going to help her get over all these hurdles, and he's going to help her in a way that he didn't help the others. Um, which is really fun to write as well. And the final people who who also have their own part, uh, as I've mentioned before, Diana's flatmates. So there are various different um, points of view because it's such a complicated story in which so many people were involved. I mean, you know, she says later that um, famously in the, in the Martin Bashir interview that there were three people in the marriage, but there were hundreds of people in the engagement. You know, so many different people were involved to, to make the whole thing work because it was quite difficult, you know, to, 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 to get the whole thing off the ground. Mm-hmm. I think one of the most important parts about focusing on her younger years is just like this, like you said, this belief in true love and a great marriage. And do you think that she still held on to that near the end? Or do you think that the whole situation kind of destroyed that for her? Do you think she still believed in true love? I think she did. Yeah. I think, I think she always believed in it. I mean, because, because she went, you can see that with, with, with some of her relationships, um, subsequent to Charles, uh, I mean, obviously, the the, the, the knight in shining armor, the, the prince, the, the romantic handsome prince um, archetype didn't work out. But I think there were other sort of romantic um, characters that she may have been thinking of when she, you know, say, so for example, when she had the affair with James Hewitt. I mean, sort of, you know, handsome soldiers were a real kind of type in, 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 in the novels that she loved. So he may he may have struck her as as, as another type of romantic hero. And then, of course... There was Hasnat Khan, the heart surgeon, who I'm sure she may well have seen as, as a kind of dashing doctor, who's another, you know, archetype that you come across in romantic novels. So it's possible that she continued to see men and romance in, in, in the same way. But I think she always believed in love. I think it was very, very important to her, this idea that there was out there the perfect man, the perfect relationship. You know, the the perfect love. I, I think she was, you know, completely devoted to that idea, definitely. And I know that this was written as a trilogy, but after this experience, are there more women that you would love to put down into historical fiction? 
Yeah, I mean, there, there, there are lots of women. I think I, I think I might not write about any more twenty first century ones. So I mean, um, uh, the, the or, or any more Windsors for the time being. I think I've I've picked. I, I mean, the, what they have in common, um, Wallace Simpson, Marion Crawford, and uh, Princess Diana, is that they 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 came from the outside and could transform the royal family in different ways, but. None of them had any idea what they were letting themselves in for. They they, they didn't realise what what was going to happen. But I don't think that's been been the case with more recent entrants into the royal family. And because of that, it's not quite so interesting to to write about because you know you, you, it, it's more fun when it's somebody who's coming you know with particular ideas uh, coming from a totally different background or. Just, I think it's, there's just an element of innocence and surprise. But I don't, for example, I'm not, I'm not so sure that Meghan Markle had no idea what what life with Prince Harry was going to be like, or or, or about the Windsor. I mean, I think she knew a little bit, but I don't think Diana had really given it much thought. And also, the the whole thing was different then. You know, she she wasn't. She became so hugely famous and so massively popular that nobody had really been. Um, popular on that scale before as a member of the royal family. I mean, the Queen Mother, when she first got married to what was then the Duke of York in in the in the nineteen twenties, was really popular, but not on that level, you know. So that was a it was it's just a whole new level of, of of fame, which hadn't really happened before. So so much about it was completely unique and and extreme. So yeah, but I I just like that sort of combination of innocence um on her part and um you know complete deliberate pragmatism on the part of the palace it's just such a great combination mm-hmm. so yeah but no, so probably no more um Windsors no yeah mm-hmm. and while you were researching this was there a particular source that you had I don't know if were there letters that she wrote that really gave you an insight into who she was as a young person that really stood out to you while you were doing your research well, in the, the, I was, I would focus in, she, not really letters, although she did write letters, but they were mostly sort of thank you letters and, and n- nothing very revealing. Although, you know, it's revealing that she wrote a lot of thank you letters, I suppose. I mean, that she was a kind of person who, who liked to do that. Um, there was an incident in, uh, during her school days that was really revealing, which, um, I, I was able to fictionalize, um, and, and, and make a, a really big scene of, which was, she went to a school uh, where they they had this outreach program where they went to a the, the girls went. To, I mean, you have to bear in mind this is in the nineteen seventies, so ideas about um, mental health and 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 so on were, weren't quite as advanced as they are now. But anyway, it was still quite a sort of good initiative for the time. The, the girls at the school used to go to the, the, a local um, hospital which specialised in people with with mental health conditions. And um, the the girls, it was a sixth form, so the sort of older girls, but they, and there'd be the whole sixth form, so maybe about sort of 40 of them, and they'd be sort of bussed out to this place, which was quite frightening to look at. It was sort of a Victorian institution, so it looked a bit like a sort of, you know, Scooby-Doo house, you know, quite an intimidating place. And it had these um, people of all ages who had all these different um, conditions, and the girls who weren't really very um, didn't really know what was going on particularly were quite intimidated by it and, and didn't know what to do. These the schoolgirls, 
But Diana always knew exactly how to behave. Um, she never had any trouble with them. She never had any difficulty understanding them. She had absolutely no fear of them. So right from the beginning, you know, while the rest of the girls from the school would sort of be, you know, sort of shrinking against the wall at the back of the hall, she would walk forward. She would go and um, talk to them and she'd get their wheelchair handles and start dancing with them. All the things. And she was doing this at a really early age, sort of early teens all the things for which she later became very famous and, and sort of famously compassionate, famously understanding, famously empathetic. All that was there when she was a girl and it was unique. You know, no one else really had that sort of level of empathy. So when I read that, I thought, you know, that that's really interesting. So, 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 so there were things like that that came across, which, you know, I don't think, I've never seen that written about. I've never seen it referred to before, but it's in, you know, referred to in a, in a it, it might be sort of, I mean, I know there were a couple of paragraphs about it. So, some of the um, biographies I read would um, sort of refer to it, but, but it was her sister's account, I think, that I found in the end that was, was quite a full one and I was able to use it. But I thought that was really interesting, you know, so, so things like that. Yeah. I love that. And I think there are so many people who love uh, Princess Diana and know so much about her after her engagement and marriage. So it's really great that this book kind of backs you up a little bit to remind you that she was a person before that. Totally. I mean, I like to call it the backstory of the greatest front story ever written. (laughs) It's just really, yeah, I mean, that's the point. She, She was really well known. But to be, there were reasons why she became the person she did. And and these are in the princess. These are the reasons I was I, that, that I, I'm writing about. You know, her her, her difficult childhood, her empathy, um, and her sort of fascination with love. You know, these these things all came together to to to, to make her the perfect candidate for the royal family to marry to to Prince Charles. You know, it, it suited everybody. Um, although obviously, it's um, in the end, it was a total disaster. <laughs> I was going to say, it suited everybody except for him. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, he needed to marry somebody, but yeah, and obviously he wanted to marry somebody else, but Diana didn't know that. And of course, no, neither did um, the British public. So in a sense, it was very uh, similar to Wallace Simpson in that sense. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being on. We're so excited. Uh, to thank you. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Yes. Uh, and the book comes out on August 17th. So Tomorrow. Tomorrow from where we yeah. are. Yeah. <laughs> so we, so a couple days before when this releases, but, <laughs> uh, but can you tell us a little bit about where people can find the book when it comes out, where people can find you and everything else that you've written? Sure. Yeah. Um, you can find it in, in any bookshop, you know, you can find it in Barnes and Noble, you can find it on Amazon. I mean, everywhere that you'd expect to find a, a, a book, you'll, you'll find it there. Um, I'm on, um, if on Instagram, I'm Wendy Holden author on, uh, X, as we now know, Twitter, it's, um, Wendy underscore Holden. And I, my website is wendyholden.net. So you can find me anywhere on any of those. Perfect. Awesome. Well, it was so great to have you back for a second Thank time. You. We love talking to people again and again, and we can't wait to see what you do next. Thank you so much. And, I, and thank you for the cocktail too. That I'm going to go off and mix myself one of those. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
You've been listening to Her Story on the Rocks. We are independently produced by 1986 Entertainment and proudly recorded in Baltimore, Maryland. If there's a woman in history you would like us to cover, you can email us at herstoryontherocks at gmail.com. You can also message us on Twitter or Instagram. We post all of our cocktail recipes on Tuesdays so that you can go get all the supplies you need and drink along with us. See you next week. Bye.